welcome. And it is a great pleasure to have all of you here tonight, mining the riches of the parsha. Tonight's Thursday night, July 29th, 2021. I am so grateful to every one of you for joining tonight, and I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you and then hearing your feedback and questions and discussion at the end. Saying a bracha, a blessing, is an elemental part of being a Jew who believes in God. The structure of blessings that we make before and after eating food, when we smell something with a sweet smell, when we see a wondrous sight, when we experience an extraordinary life experience, all kinds of different blessings at different times under different circumstances, they serve the purpose of taking our connection with God out of the constraint of formal prayer into every moment of life and every experience of life. So, what does a blessing, a bracha, actually mean? We start with the words, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God? What exactly does that mean? I raise this tonight because the only explicit source in the Torah for the obligation to say a blessing, a bracha, is in our Torah portion, our parsha of Ekev, where the Torah says, V'achalta v'savata uverakta Hashem alakecha. You shall eat and be satisfied and bless the Lord your God. So, what does it mean to bless? To say, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you God? There are several different meanings and they come within different contexts. One meaning is to thank or to praise when it comes to food, to thank God for the food we are about to eat or that we have just eaten, to praise God for what he has given to us. That's one understanding of what it means to say a blessing. The Ramban Nachmanides writes that a bracha, a blessing, is to acknowledge that what we have comes from God. And that actually fits with the context of the Pasuk, the verse in our Parsha. Because our Parsha says, the Pasuk I read, When you eat and you're satisfied, you should bless God. Guard yourself that you do not forget God. Perhaps you will eat and be satisfied. And your heart shall become arrogant. And you will forget Hashem, your God. And you will say to yourself, 
Kochi v'otsem yadi, my strength and the strength of my hand, Asalias Achayelazer, achieved all of this greatness. Be very careful against that. But rather, Zacharta Hashem Elokecha, remember Hashem your God. God is the one who gives us the strength to have and to achieve and enjoy what is in this world. So the Ramban explains when I say the words Baruch to Hashem, blessed are you God, in whatever context I'm acknowledging, I'm taking care, I'm taking heed, as the verses here say. I'm not forgetting God, I'm recognizing Whatever I have, everything we have ultimately comes from God. Rav Yosef Salvechik, a blessed memory, the Rav, builds on this and suggests a more daring meaning. Says Rav Salvechik, it means to bless, to bestow a blessing. How is it possible for a human being to bless God? Baruch Atah Hashem. Blessed are you, God. In other words, God, you should be blessed. I am blessing you. In what possible sense is that comprehensible? Explains Rav Salvechik. We understand from this mitzvah, from this obligation, the exalted station of mankind within creation. We are granted explicitly with this command we are granted a license to bless God. In other words, the real surprise and the real significance of a bracha is the statement that it makes about the stature of a human being. We are so great in God's eyes. We are so wonderful in God's eyes. We can bless God. I would add a practical, prosaic suggestion to that. After thanking and praising and acknowledging and blessing God for the food, or the other experiences, we should also do the same for the person that prepared it for us, or that served it to us, or that helped to provide it to us, just like we should do for God himself. Finally, one last approach is that the bracha before eating, the blessing before we eat something, according to one opinion in the Talmud, has a very different source and a very different meaning. And it's based on the principle 
that everything in the world belongs to God. As the verse says, Lahashem Ha'aretzim Loa, to God belongs the earth and its fullness, everything in it. So the Talmud says, the Talmud in Brachos says, one verse says, the earth and everything in it belongs to God. There's another verse, also in Tehillim, Psalms, that says, HaShemayim, Shemayim Lashem, the heavens belong to God, V'ha'aretz Nasan Libnei Adam, but the, the, the earth is given to man? Isn't it a contradiction? Answers the Talmud? No, no contradiction. Before a person says a blessing, it belongs to God. After a person says a blessing, it belongs to us. In other words, everything belongs to God. If we are to take something without a blessing, it would be akin to stealing, to using something that does not belong to us. The blessing is the kinyan. It is the act of acquisition that places it in our legal possession. The Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud says, the entire world is like a holy vineyard. How is it redeemed? Meaning, how do we have the right to make use of it? With a blessing. Explains Rav Salavajik, before I make a bracha, before I say a blessing on the food, the food on the table doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. When I say the words of the blessing, for example, blessed are you God, king of the universe, who brought forth bread from the land, there is a legal aspect to that bracha. That is an act of acquisition that places that food in our legal possession, allowing us to enjoy it. Otherwise, it's stealing. Let me share with you a fascinating technical application of this principle. Okay, so we all know Friday night, begin Shabbos, and we make Kiddush. We all know that the Kiddush on Friday night has three elements. First, there is a paragraph of, starts with the words Vayahulu, that's from the book of Bereshis, that describes creation and God resting on the seventh day. That's what Shabbos is all about. There's also a bracha, a blessing over a cup of wine, Bere And there's another paragraph that talks about the specialness of Shabbos. God commanded us in Shabbos, and it's a remembrance of creation of the world. It's a remembrance of Exodus from Egypt, and God sanctified the Shabbos. We say that every Friday night. What's the order of those three elements? So, Beishamai, this is disputed in the Talmud, Beishamai, the Academy of Shammai says, the order is as follows. First is Vayachulu. Then comes the long bracha about Shabbos, about the sanctity of Shabbos. 
that ends with the bracha, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you God, Mekadesh HaShabbos, who sanctifies the Shabbos. And then at the end comes the bracha, and then we drink the wine. That's what Beishamai says. Now, Beishamai's order makes perfect sense because we have a general rule when it comes to blessings over food, and that is the blessing over the food should be recited immediately over eating it or drinking it. It's not the right thing. For example, let's say uh, a person wants to have a glass of water, and a person's going to say the bracha, Baruch Hashem, blessed you, God, King of the universe, Shakol everything comes from your word. And then when they finish the bracha, they go into the kitchen and they take out a cup and they uh, fill it with water and then they drink it. That's not the right thing. The right thing is the food should be ready. It should be in the cup. It should be in your hand. It should be ready to eat so that as soon as you finish the bracha, you can enjoy the food or the drink. That's the proper practice. So here too with Kiddush. Beishamai says the bracha over the wine should come at the end because you have to drink the wine, right? So you should make the bracha over the wine just before you're about to drink it. It doesn't make sense to make the bracha earlier and have another paragraph intervene. That is a an interruption between the bracha and the drinking. That's what Beishamai says. Of course, you know that we do not follow that. What we follow is the opinion of Beis Hillel, the Academy of Hillel, who says, first we say the paragraph Vayichulu, then we say the bracha Agafen, the blessing over the wine, and then we say that long paragraph at the end about the sanctity of Shabbos. And that's what we do. We're all familiar with that. But why? Isn't Beishamai's opinion more logical? So there are a couple of answers to this question, but Rav Salavetsha gives the following answer. There is a mitzvah to say the paragraph of Kiddush together with a cup of wine and together with drinking a cup of wine. It gives it a certain importance that it goes along with drinking a glass of wine. Okay. If you say the paragraph of Kiddush and it's supposed to accompany wine and that paragraph talks about the sanctity of Shabbos and God sanctifying Shabbos and Shabbos is a remembrance of the creation of the world. But we're holding a cup of wine that we stole that doesn't belong to us. Well, that's not a very nice mitzvah. It's not a good thing to fulfill a mitzvah with an object that is stolen. Therefore, says Beis Hillel, make the bracha Priyagafin first. Only then will the wine belong to you. Now you can say the paragraph of Kedushas Hazman, the sanctity over the Sabbath, over holding a cup of wine that actually belongs to you. That's an expression of Rav Salavechik's idea that a bracha before we eat is a way to take legal possession of the object so that we're not stealing from God. Okay, several different answers. But this system 
this structure of blessings, whose source is in our parsha concerning one of them, but that is expanded by the rabbis to be before and after every different kind of food, before an extraordinary sight or an experience, at times of joy and at times of sadness. What this detailed structure does is it allows us to elevate every moment of life, to be mindful of the power and significance of every moment of life. And therefore, to incorporate saying brachos, blessings regularly, and to expand our repertoire of blessings for different occasions is to live a transcendent life. And it all starts with three simple words. Baruch Atah Hashem. So the specific blessing in our parsha, as I mentioned, which again is the only bracha that is explicitly commanded in the Torah, is birkatz hamazon, the blessing, the grace after meal. Sometimes we refer to it as benching. The word bench is a Yiddish word that means bless. Very often we refer to this as benching. So this mitzvah is the proper way to end a meal. But Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out that it actually needs to be understood in a much wider context because this is not only a mitzvah about eating. It's about how we experience and view life. And let me explain it as follows. Because the genius of the Torah is the way in which it spoke to the Jewish people it was addressing at that time and speaks to us directly today. So our Parsha, the Parsha of Akev, Moshe points out a contrast between the ideal to which the Jewish people is called, and to the danger that it will face. Now this is, as they are about to enter the land of Israel, at the end of 40 years, wandering, traveling through the desert. And this dilemma is precisely a dilemma that every one of us faces in every area of life every day. The dilemma is as follows. Here's how Moshe puts it in our Parsha. Moshe says, observe the commandments of God because God is giving you a good land. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. And when you have eaten and you are satisfied, Bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. That's the promise. 
That's the ideal. Then comes the danger. He shomer lecha. Be careful you do not forget God. Otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds grow large and your silver and gold increases, and you forget God, and you may say to yourself, Kochi, my power of Otsum Yodi and the strength of my hands produce this wealth for me, that's going to be very, very bad. Things are not going to go well for you. But remember rather to remember the Lord your God, because God is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth and to enjoy what we have. So we have these two passages, and they hinge, they're linked by the famous phrase, Ve'achalta v'savata uve'raktas Hashem alakecha. When you eat and you're satisfied and you bless Hashem your God. So that's the moment when there are these two paths in front of you. And everything will depend on how you respond at that moment. Either you will eat and be satisfied and bless God, remembering all that God has done for you and does for you, or you will eat and be satisfied and forget God and forget who is responsible for everything that you have. In other words, Moshe is saying to the Jewish people at the end of these 40 years in the desert, as they are about to go into this new era of entering the land of Israel, Moshe says to them, you may think that the hard times are behind you. You wandered for 40 years. You didn't have a home. There were times when you did not have water. There were times when you did not have food. You were attacked by your enemies. You may think that the previous 40 years, that was the test of your character. But that's not correct. The real challenge Moshe is saying in this passage is not poverty. It's affluence. The real challenge is not slavery. It's freedom and what you do with it. The real challenge is not homelessness, but home. How do we behave when we have what we want? Many nations have been lifted to great heights when they face difficulty and danger. They fight battles, they triumph, they come together through crises. When times are hard, people grow. They bury their differences. There's a sense of community and solidarity and pulling together. The real test is not if you can survive a crisis, but if you can survive the lack of a crisis. 
And that challenge has defeated every civilization known to man. And Moshe says, don't let it defeat you. And I say to you and to me, with the genius with which the Torah addresses every single one of us at every moment in every one of our lives. This is true for us right now. So many of us over the last year and a half have lived with crisis due to COVID, due to loneliness, illness, death, God forbid, financial difficulty, stress, anxiety, fear, uncertainty. And many of us have risen to the occasion. Many of us have acted heroically, helping others, being concerned with others, looking out for another person, taking our prayers more seriously because so much is on the line, working on our faith, working on our sense of hope because it's being sorely tested. What will happen as we come out of it? What will happen as we return to normal or a new normal? Will we be able to hold on to those qualities of heroism with which we have been living for the last year and a half? The dilemma that Moshe is posing to the Jewish people then is precisely what we are facing today. And the truth is, even in our own history, there have been times when we failed to live up to this. There have been times when we forgot. And so Moshe's warning is so important and so relevant and so applicable to every single one of us. But Moshe did something more than just warn us. He also taught us how to avoid that danger. And this insight also is as relevant as it ever was. Moshe spoke about the importance of memory. Memory has the power to remind us how to respond to affluence, to remember that what we have comes from God, to remember that when times were difficult, we did call out to God. And now just because we are satisfied, that is no reason to forget God. Memory is the key to prevent us from losing the sense of appreciation and acknowledgement. Civilizations begin to die when they forget. Says Rabbi Sachs, Israel was commanded never to forget. And one of the tools the Torah gives us for that is Birchas Amazon, is the benching. 
Ve'achalta ve'savata uve'rakta Hashem alakecha. Remember what God gave us and gives us and will give us. Birkas Amazan plays a role in Jewish life far beyond eating. It is the model of the memory that leads us from satisfaction, satiation, to gratitude, instead of to arrogance and dissolution. One of the great Hasidic masters, Reb Shalom Dov Ber, known as Rashab, once said, to tell a story well, one needs to be really skilled. But what requires even more skill is to know how to listen to a story. Ninety two times. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out that 92 times in the course of Moshe's final speeches to the Jewish people in the book of Devarim, the fifth book of the Torah, as Moshe is summing up his life and his teaching after 40 years traveling in the desert, before the Jewish people are about to enter the land of Israel, summing up everything that he has experienced and taught, 92 times Moshe says, listen. The Hebrew word, Shema, though, means so much more than just listen. It means to hear. It means to pay attention. It means to internalize. It means to understand. It means to respond. It means to obey. All of these meanings are included in this word Shema and its various forms, depending on the context. The most famous was in last week's Parsha, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. I discussed the significance of Shema last week. In this week's Parsha of Akev, we have the second paragraph, Vahaya Im Shamoa, and it shall be, if you listen, hearken, obey, the commandments of God, everything's going to go okay. But if you don't, it's going to be rough. Again, another usage of the word Shema. Over and over and over again, 92 times, Moshe says, listen, heed, pay attention, hear what I am saying, internalize what God is saying. Obey what God wants from you. If you want to understand any relationship, 
between man and God, between husband and wife, between parent and child, any relationship whatsoever. Pay close attention to how they speak and listen to each other. Because seeing is not enough. What we see about a relationship or about a person or about an event, the appearance is superficial and it's often wrong. We have a fascinating lesson that teaches us this in the book of Shmuel, the work of our prophet Samuel. Shmuel, the prophet Samuel, about 400 years after the Jewish people entered the land of Israel, anointed the first Jewish king, Saul, Shaul HaMelech. Shaul was a man who looked the part of a king. The Navi tells us he was taller than anyone else. He looked regal. He looked powerful. Shaul was the image of a king. But morally, temperamentally, he was not a leader. He was a follower. And his reign was cut short after just two years. So then God spoke to Shmuel and said to anoint another king in his place. And God said to Shmuel that he would find this new king among the sons of Yishai, who lived in Bethlehem. And so Shmuel went to Yishai and he saw one of Yishai's sons, Eliav. And Shmuel said to himself, this is the man I can tell by looking. This is the man that God has chosen to be the new king of the Jewish people. But then God says to Shmuel, Vayomer Hashem el Shmuel, Hashem says to Shmuel, Al tabet el marehu. Don't look at his appearance. The el gova komaso. Don't look to see how tall and impressive he looks. Kimaastihu, he's not the one that I want. He's not the one that I choose. Kiloasha yireha adam. I, God says, I don't look at people. I don't evaluate people the way that human beings evaluate people. Because people evaluate others and situations with their eyes. But the eyes can be misleading. God is able to evaluate what is in a person's heart. And that man, Eliav, is not the right man. The right man is actually the youngest son, David, who became David Amela, King David. That's what we have to try to do. To try not to rely on outer appearances in the judgments that we make. It's much more profound 
It's much more true to evaluate based on the speaking, but more importantly, the listening. Really listening. That's how you come to know something that's deeply true. Listening is at the very heart of relationship. Because if we truly listen to another, we are showing respect to him or her. We're showing that their perceptions and feelings matter to us. When we listen, we give the other permission to be honest even if it makes us vulnerable or uncomfortable to do so. Listening does not mean agreeing, but it does mean caring. Says Rabbi Sachs, listening is the climate in which love and respect grow. Viktor Frankl survived Auschwitz and went on to become an acclaimed psychologist. He founded a new form of psychotherapy known as logotherapy. It's based on man's search for meaning. Dr. Frankl once told the following story. He had a patient and this patient called him in the middle of the night and said to him calmly, it was a woman, she said, I'm about to commit suicide. I'm about to take my life. So he started speaking to her. He kept her on the phone for two hours. He gave her every possible reason to live. And at the end of two hours, in the middle of the night, eventually this woman said that she had changed her mind and she was not going to end her life. The next time he saw this woman, he asked her which of the many reasons that he gave caused her to change her mind. And she said, none of them. The reason I changed my mind is that someone, Dr. Frankel, was prepared to listen to me for two hours in the middle of the night. And that convinced me that my life is worth living. That is what Moshe is saying throughout the book of Dvarim over and over again. If we want God to listen to us, we've got to be prepared to listen to God. And if we learn to listen to God, then eventually we may learn to listen to our fellow human beings. The silent cry of the lonely, the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, the people in existential pain. Later in 
Nach, in the book of Malachim, the book of Kings, God appeared to Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, who we know as the wisest of all men. But it didn't happen by itself. God appeared to Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, in a dream, and he asked him, what gift would you like me to give to you? And Shlomo HaMelech said, Lave Shomea, a heart that listens in order to judge the people. And the choice of words is very significant. It's common to find leaders who speak. It's very rare to find leaders who listen. But it's listening that often makes the difference. When we first meet Moshe at the beginning of the book of Shemos, when God found Moshe near a burning bush and began this great momentous task of leading the Jews out of Egypt, taking them through the desert, to reach the edge of the land of Israel. God offered Moshe this opportunity of leadership and Moshe said, no, thank you. Lo ish I'm not a man of words. Not yesterday, not the day before. I am slow of speech and tongue. Why would God choose to lead the Jewish people, a man who found it hard to speak? Perhaps we only learn the answer here, near the end of Moshe's career and life. Because one who cannot speak learns how to listen. A leader is one who knows how to listen to the unspoken cry of others and to the still, small voice of God. My friends, I want to wish you a wonderful evening and a fantastic Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.